Now, from Wichita's most listened to sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH, this is Sports Daily with Jacob Albrock and Tommy Kester. On all the insight of what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know, here's K-State insider Tim Fitzgerald. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Happy to be joined by our buddy Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GoPowerCat.com. You can find him on social media, at Life of Fitz. Tommy had to step out, Fitz. I told him yesterday when he said it would just be the two of us to alert the FCC. Jad, get that you know delay button ready. You never know here. Uh, it's Parents are away, you know what I mean? Hold on. Tommy is the like the adult in the room? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Jad probably what? could define that a little better that's probably a safe assumption don't you think he's he's got an official title now at the radio station he's you know like a general sales manager and all this fancy stuff uh, where i i'm still just a rogue part-timer uh who you know is along for the ride so uh welcome in fitz uh let's let you know let's start with the women last night because that was an interesting outcome we certainly want the K-State women to win all of their games here uh, because they, they have a chance to make some noise in the tournament. However, it's a little bittersweet when a couple locals for us have such great games for Iowa State on the other side. That was a, that was a strange one for us around here last night. Yeah, yeah. Iowa State's done a good job coming down to Kansas and stealing some players. I, every time I see them, I think, what if they were also on this K-State roster? Oh, my gosh. Because uh, K-State's got a yeah, ton of local uh, talent, too, right? Yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. that's one of the benefits on the women's side. That This state, this state of Kansas produces some players now. Um, and I, I don't know what's going on with the K-State women. They're just they're kind of out of sorts right now. And, and luckily, they have a little bit of time to find themselves. They're going to Kansas City. Uh, you know, coming up here pretty soon for the Big 12 tournament. And but the problem is uh, they have been in a solid position to host. The top 16 seeds in the women's side, the four in each region, get to host the first couple rounds. Uh, you know, they were they were ranked number four. They've been ranked number eight. They've been ranked 10. Now they're 14 with another loss. Um, they're kind of flirting with ending up getting shipped out as a fifth or sixth yeah. seed to go to someone else's site. And it's it's unfortunate, um, and now they're going to have to really try to gather themselves uh, in uh, Kansas City if they want that to change. But even if they go somewhere, this is a pretty good team that if they kind of get back in the groove, they, they can start running through some um, really good opponents. I mean, heck, they won at Iowa. Um, and I think that defines all you need to know about the quality of this team when they play at a high level. Yeah, I, I think they'll be okay. I, I mean, I'm I'm confident that they'll uh, bounce back and be fine. Uh, on the men's side, so they hang on in its sort of survival moment early in the week against West Virginia. Doesn't do anything for them, but it you know it would have been bad otherwise. But man, then the next night we see BYU pick up a road win in Lawrence, and we see Texas get a road win in Lubbock. That was a terrible Tuesday night for Kansas State in the NCAA tournament, and they didn't even play a game. Yeah, I mean, these are teams that uh, they might be battling for. That. I think Texas is in. They, they get some really good non-conference stuff on their resume. Uh, but BYU's certainly been, um, you know, flirting with uh, 
sliding down in the bracket. They're probably in. They're solidly in now. Um, but, yeah, K-State's got to focus on K-State, to be honest. And that includes winning Saturday in Cincinnati, or the math gets really difficult um, if you you know want to add up enough wins and quality wins to get to the tournament. Uh, so uh, they got to just kind of take care of themselves and see what happens because uh, this conference, look, I, when I saw that Tuesday night schedule, I was never more confident in the outcome of three games. Uh, three home teams playing, uh, you know, the favorites. Uh, even if they went on the road, they might have been the favorites. And, you know, Tech's kind of in a funk right now. But to have two of those three lose, including BYU at KU, kind of sums up how chaotic this conference has become. Well, it, maybe there's something in the air because we saw Wichita State pick up its first road win uh, of the season. We talked about the Iowa State women. It may just be a weird week where the road is a good place to be. So as we look at K-State, uh, they speaking of being on the road, they've got one. I mean, look, we, we keep saying this, and I, I don't think we've been wrong about must-wins and got to have them. they got to have it against Cincinnati because that is one of the teams that you know, it could be in the mix, and one of the teams they'll they'll certainly need to jump at least in the net if they want to get into this tournament. They got to have that one, and they probably have to have at least one of the next two against Kansas or Iowa State. And I'm not, you know, I, I, it, it's all out there. I mean, it, none of that is absolutely like unreasonable to think could happen, and it would take more in the tournament. But there is still a path. The Texas thing hurts them because that was probably one of the teams they were going to be competing with, and I think that probably I'm with you. I think the I think the win there at Tech puts Texas in most likely. But K State sits at 73 in the net. They have passed, or they will pass soon, most likely UCF. Cincinnati's 45. Texas now is up all the way to 33, so you can probably not look at them too much. It, it, if you look at the top nine in the Big 12, just by net. They would still need to be better than basically somebody else. Oklahoma, mm-hmm. is it Texas Tech? That's what it would take net-wise to get in. Now, they could they could easily surpass some of those teams in the Big 12 standings. Their case will be curious. It will be very interesting to see how K-State's resume is viewed if they can win two of the next three games. I'm with you. I, I personally think they're, because of what you just described, uh, they're three wins away. They're going to have to win one in Kansas City, I believe. Um, and I know we're all kind of focused for now on the nine and nine that Jerome Tang has publicly and accurately expressed has always gotten. I think yeah, I, w- I was skeptical at first. I think he might be right. Yeah, and but the Cincinnati game is personified for a number of reasons. Um, the ones you just listed. Uh, how their net is that high when they are two games behind Kansas State in the standings as we sit here right now. Um, that's insane to me that they're that high in the net and that unsuccessful in this conference. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things K-State has to, you know, ward off is playing that first day in Kansas City. Four teams will do it. Uh, UCF getting the road win at Oklahoma State creeps in closer, but K-State has the tiebreaker. So if you beat Cincinnati, you bury them into the first first day of competition, and, and you build up a barrier, uh, you know, with UCF maybe pulling off a late surge here to get out of the first day, uh, and and then that the importance of that is it matches you up uh, the seven through ten seeds, then will play each other in the second day 
Uh, and it gives you a very um, comparable opponent, like a BYU-Oklahoma. Um, I think Texas might be in one of those slots right now, although they might climb out of that. It gives you a very comparable opponent that, if you can beat, uh, it really does spruce up your resume. But before you have to worry about that, you got to win one on the road and beat Iowa State at home. Uh, and for me, uh, that one on the road better be Cincinnati because I think BYU stole any chance case they might have had to sneak into Allen Fieldhouse. I think KU will be really good when next time they're at home. Yeah, and 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 then again, just like keep in mind, like if you go, but it it really depends. I think too, if it's nine or ten teams, it's a stretch to think no matter what happens, K State would be able to catch Tech or Oklahoma in the net, which is what what which is essentially right. what it would take to get in. That's that's a bit of a stretch. So you know, can the committee stomach? sending 10 big 12 teams like that that's what we like kansas state can probably do enough to make itself an at-large i don't think that's the issue i think the issue is are they going to have to get into the top nine of the big 12 that make it because i'm not sure that's out there for them i mean it would take a lot of wins down the stretch to jump i mean 30 spots in the net that that ah, man that would be tough, and 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 it could happen. But again, like if, as we're looking at likelihoods, I I think you need a to build up enough of an at large resume, and b need the committee to take ten teams. Right, uh, you know the the problem there is um, not really getting being the tenth team in the conference. It's is if you're on a list of four teams, the final, you know the next four out and someone's coming in and another one of those big 12 teams is on that list uh, because you'll be compared to, you know, whomever else is, is on the bubble with you. Uh, so, you know, K-State can't worry about anything other than taking care of themselves um, and, right. and getting their win totals right and trying to get the argument out there, you know, and I think it's a valid, valid argument. We just played 18 games in a conference how could you possibly be putting in teams that are below us in the rankings when we came out a game or two ahead of them? Uh, and, you know, I know they don't look directly at conference rankings, but I, I've seen it happen before to K-State. If they beat Texas Tech and had a better record in the first round of the Big 12 tournament in Bob Huggins' season, uh, and they got left out, um, even though everything seemed to be better on K-State's resume. So you just got to keep playing and, and see what happens. Let's talk a little football. Fitz, Tim Fitzgerald, publisher, gopowercat.com, at Life of Fitz on social media. Yesterday, it's announced Lance Leipold gets a big raise, up to $7 million a year, puts him into the top three of the Big 12, uh, a, a day to celebrate if you're a KU fan, a day to celebrate if you, you know, have a college football interest like, like I do in the state of Kansas that I just I want everybody to be good. But it does bring up an interesting, you know, idea with Chris Kleiman. He now is surpassed there by Leipold. Leipold, as much as the turnaround has been great, has not achieved near the level of success that Chris Kleiman has. How much longer is Chris Kleiman going to be okay being in the middle of the pack? Or or does this put pressure, do you think, on K-State administration to sort of match what we saw happen for Leipold? Yeah, I don't, I don't think Chris Kleiman thinks that way. I don't think he has that well, I'm better than him, you know, you got to pay me. No, but his agent might. If, if you get, well, that's, that you nailed it. And, and I tell you what, if 
Lance Leipold gets a seven million dollar contract and the agent plays, I'm, he's going to go somewhere else game again after the season. As a KU fan, I'd get pretty tired of it quick. Um, seven million is you're staying, unless you're staying. You know, I agree. How state? Yeah, right. quit playing this game. And if he, if Lance Leipold is, is uh, you know really truly happy at Kansas, he's going to tell his agent stop. You know, just stop playing this game. Um, I, I think if you offer Chris Kleiman another 1.5, you know, he might take 0. 0.5. And, but, and he wants more people on his staff. He wants more, you know, analysts and recruiting people. And uh, he, he, he knows he's falling behind in some of these areas. Uh, that's what he's concerned about, uh, not how big his own checking account is. He's, he's really concerned about having enough uh, fringe players. I don't mean that as an insult, but all those – add-on positions you're seeing in the SEC and other big programs are bearing. It's kind of a, the quiet war here. Uh, they're absolutely bearing the ability of everyone else to, to function in the same way with, in terms of not coaching but mostly recruiting and scouting. Uh, and, and he really wants to beef up those staffs. It, 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 we'll see. Yeah, and maybe that is a part of it. Look, I, I'm excited about it. It's, I can't understate enough that there is a very real possibility that you could have both Kansas and Kansas State in a college football playoff. Like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's likely, but they're two of the top three, you know, odds-on favorites to win the Big 12. If if health goes both of their ways, if Jalen Daniels can play for KU and all those things, I mean, I'm not, you. you I, I would absolutely say there's a chance those are two of the best you know, 12 teams in the country by the end of the year. It, it is an incredibly exciting football season. You've been here longer than I have. Where does this, where does the hype and potential of this season rank in the history of this state? I would imagine because of the new playoff formats, it is higher, better than any. I'm with you, brother. I, I you know, the, the history, at least the recent history since, you know, the departure of, Vince Gibson in the 1960s or early 70s um, has been, if one is good, and it often didn't even mean one was good, uh, the other one wasn't. Uh, we saw kind of a brief overlap at, you know, with K-State and KU and Bill Snyder was just getting it going with Glenn Mason, but uh, nothing, nothing compares to this. These are two legitimate Big 12 contenders. Uh, and they would have been even with Oklahoma and Texas in the conference. I want to be clear about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're going to have different schedules and, and different paths. I don't really like K-State's schedule because of the absence of home games for two months, basically just two home games. And uh, But we'll see who comes out the other side. Uh, I think what has decided that K-State's kind of the, the favorite over Kansas right now in terms of, where the Big 12 rankings are falling, you know, particularly the odds makers, who I trust a lot to know what's going on. Um, it all simply comes down to the games in Manhattan this year. And um, I, I think if it, the game was in Lawrence, you might see some different numbers up there. They're that comparable. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun, fun football season in the state of Kansas. So tw- this 12-team playoff is going to be – a blast. There's already chatter about getting to 14 or maybe more. The The recent chatter is in, you know, many have reported on this. Dennis Dodd of CBS, you know, has confirmed it. There's been a lot of reports, but basically 
you know, a instead of a five and seven, which I know that we both like, a three three two two one. I think it accomplishes the same thing. It would essentially mean the Big Ten and the SEC get three spots guaranteed. The Big 12 and the ACC get two spots guaranteed. The group of five best remainder gets the one spot. And then you have three remaining at-larges. That's what's being you know bantied about in a 14-teamer. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I, I you know, like a concession to, you know, to have one fewer at one fewer guaranteed bid for the Big 12. But, you know, having two is... That's not bad. That's not bad. I don't think. What do you? What did you think when you saw that? I, I love conspiracy theories, and this is my thought on it. Nobody in that room truly believes the ACC will be around to take the two. So in twenty twenty six, yes. So when they concede that, what they are saying is three, three, two, plus those other two. Well, now it becomes four four two. I guarantee you, you that's what's going through the minds. Uh, they'll divvy up the ACC picks and say, "Hey, Big Twelve, if you're good enough, uh, why don't you win some football games?" They'll put they'll put the onus on the Big Twelve to prove themselves, uh, and because you know they've just built in success already for their programs. Um, I I uh, I don't trust anything the Big Ten and SEC are doing right now. Not a single thing. They haven't shown one. In- one moment of interest in, in the health of all of college football. Uh, they've only shown interest in their money grab uh, in trying to destroy everything else people love about college football for their own favor. Uh, so when I see them do something like this, they're up to something. And I think it's those about, spots they intend on taking. What about a four, four, three, one, two, basically? Like what if you if if you again like if the concession is to say okay you guys get to four but we want three and then you know and then you as long as you keep as long as you keep the group of five auto bid that one I'm good mm-hmm. uh, and then it, and then you sort of and then you sort of sort out the rest with I mean if it's four four three does that make eleven teams one and then two remaining at large bursts I'd be okay with that. You, you know, the irony, my instinct here is to say, how about one conference champion and then, you know, for each conference and then and at large bid for everyone else. But, well, that's what we have now, right? That's the five and seven. That's what we're going to have next year. Right. Um, but I come back to what I just said earlier. I don't trust those conferences to do this above board. I think, you know, we also don't know what the makeup of the selection process will be. You know, they, they might try to corner that. Uh, and say, hey, we've got a majority of teams. We're going to, you know, we need a majority of the the committee, which I get. And uh, then they just stack their votes with each other. Um, so uh, I'm just, I'm a little leery of everything they're doing right now. And I, I don't see any indication they have any interest in mind other than uh, how much money stuffed into their own pocket. Yeah, I, look, I I try to understand and come at this reasonably. I think if I were in the shoes of, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC, I mean, I, I'm not certain I wouldn't try to do the same thing. They are in a better position. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. So what can be reasonably done to both acknowledge that and help everybody 
I think that'll be the key factor. I mean, they are. Yeah. The SEC and the Big Ten are flat in a better position. It's okay to admit that. I mean, they've got you know they've got more high profile schools with more budgets and everything. And I think the elephant in the room on all of this, because you're you're getting you know rumors and chatter about how the NCAA factors in, and and maybe at least the Big Ten and SEC are kind of tired of the NCAA. The the reality is with court cases and everything else, they're going to have to pay these players. I think that's what they all understand and know. So how do you position yourself when that time comes to best do that? So I, I don't think it's unreasonable for these leagues to be trying to position themselves in whatever position it is among their peers because they know they're about to have to start spending a lot of money on these players directly, right. probably not indirectly anymore. And so getting to that point is pretty critical. I mean, that's it's the that's the elephant in the room is that's coming. It is going to happen. Yeah, and, th- and that'll be a sad day because that'll be the destruction of Olympic sports at the college level. I mean, the money just – there's a cap to the money, man. I don't care how much money the SEC and Big Ten are bringing in. Um, at some point, they're going to uh, – the greed of it all, they'll look at it, hey, if we win more football games, we make a lot more money and this men's swimming and diving team isn't bringing in a dime, uh, let's take all their budget and give it to football. How about women's tennis? Let's take all their budget and give it to football. Um, once you make them employees, Title IX goes out the window, and uh, at, at that point, I think the NCAA say, you know what, you got to do what you got to do. I'm, I'm sorry, we tried, that. we tried to do the right thing, uh, but now there's no limit on the you know, sports you can have or – you know, a, no, there's no longer a floor that you have to be at. Just do what you got to do. And we're going to see so many sports just disappear at the college level. It'll be a sad day. I don't know. I, I try not to think that doomsday. Maybe you, if, if, look, if they would just find a solution to the problem, which is compensation, everybody would win. Could you not? agree to salary caps to some degree that guarantee you know that institutions have the ability to do those other things that eliminate you know t- one team from going nuts over the other and, and to try because the re- because if you look if you pay the players now it is more of a business and now you can put these guidelines in place you know other than major league baseball there are salary caps all over professional sports you know you cap it at a number under what you bring in Everyone agrees to what that number is, and then you still have the resources to allocate into the other places that you need to do it. I, I think that's possible. I think if they would be forward-thinking, they could get there. And I also don't know how this all factors into college basketball. I mean, you know, it's what's funny about it all is college basketball is nowhere a blip on the radar in popularity, at least ratings-wise, to football, yet its championship tournament is, I, I would say, the second most valuable sports property in the U.S. Super Bowl, then NCAA March Madness, right? So I agree. What happens there? Because it it probably can't go to the same. Like, there has to be some cohesion because there's still too much money on the table through that tournament. And that's probably getting expanded, too, to help some of this. But why can't we just get the leagues to agree on salary caps to their leagues? And then, they ha- well, and then they're the sort of forced to still spend money on the other All sports. Right. Right. Jacob, there's a huge problem with this thinking. They already agree upon things. The, the NCAA institutions, not the NCAA just laying down rules, the member institutions 
voted that you can't use the NIL on the recruiting process. So Tennessee sues as a state to undo that, and now it's gone. So if you set a salary cap, uh, what's to stop the attorney general from Alabama going to the courts and saying, there shouldn't be a salary cap. That's collusion against the student athletes. And, you know, the difference not as long the as the student, is, the student athletes are going to be able to unionize, though, Fitz. It's the same. It's negotiated out just like it is in football, just like it is in in, in NFL, just like it is in the NBA. The, the players would have to agree to what the cap is. But when you're coming from zero, anybody with a logical brain would say, well, let's negotiate what the number is, but it's still better for you. So yeah, we will agree to what the number is. That's how they do it. And then the court doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's been negotiated. It's a little more difficult to unionize thousands upon thousands of college students that are not. I'm just talking about each conference. I'm just talking about each conference doing it right? Well, when you shrink I, that look, down to hundreds and hundreds, maybe, maybe it's doable. Maybe. And each sport may have to do different things. I'm not sure. Just look at the landscape of everything going on. Anyone who doesn't agree with what's going on just goes to the courts and, and they find the right judge to overturn everything. And we're back in chaos. Now, this is a right. problem right now. I think this is a bigger societal problem than, than college athletics. I'm not getting my way uh, even though I agreed, you know, we, I was part of a voting block to agree this was the way. Uh, so uh, I'm going to sue. And it's just going on all over the place. And it's it's destroyed college athletics, but some of it has been warranted. Uh, the players should be able to earn money off their name and likeness. Has NIL played out to be anything like what we thought it would be? No. No, it's now it's a giant slush fund to buy players. Uh, it's not uh, Avery Johnson is valuable, so Long MacArthur Ford, uh, you know, has him come on and speak. Um, that's what we thought it was. But now it's just, hey, we'll give you $100,000. What do I got to do? You got to send out a tweet, one tweet. That's that's what you got to do. That's the contract. I mean, this is this is just, it's gone nuts. And that's, uh, as we go further down this road, I, I try to think of all the different ways this is going to go wrong and spin out of control. And within five years, uh, we will literally have a movement to be semi-pro or professional football, not even college students, will just license the Alabama name. Um, and, and then they don't, because I've seen this proposal, why do they even have to go to school if they're employees? And I'm like, oh boy, uh, you know, we're in a different world now. And if that's, uh, I'll be honest, if that's the world they want to be, we're going to license our name and we're going to have professionals plan to represent the college. Uh, I don't think fans will support it that long. They'll get tired of it. And I think the number of institutions, I think Kansas State included, will say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to play college athletics. Uh, and that's going to be the next pushback. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see how all this plays out. But it, uh, they're, they're messing with a lot of things that could blow up, including uh, the destruction of Olympic sports uh, and reaching a point of breaking for uh, athletic departments are broke already. They already spend more than they have. So right. the, I think the next solution then is investors need to come in. And we're going to have, you know, these groups come in and start running uh, college athletic programs like they ran newspapers. Um, and I just don't like where this is headed one bit. I see a lot of bad times in the future for college sports. Well, th- none of it's going to be good unless they acknowledge the problem and stop trying to ignore it and stop trying to ignore the issues and, and yeah, take it to court and lose every time. That's what will keep happening. Fitz? We're out of time. Yeah, GoPowerCat.com. As we get ready for a big K-State weekend, uh, Fitz and his team will get you all prepared. Thanks, buddy. We'll do it again soon.
Okay, talk to you later. There goes Tim Fitzgerald. You can find him at Life of Fitz on social media. We'll come back. Tommy will rejoin us. We'll have more Sports Daily right after this. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily, our appreciation to new general manager of the Wind Surge, Matt Hamilton, for joining us. Uh, our appreciation to the publisher of GoPowerCat.com, our K-State insider, Tim Fitzgerald, for joining us. A um, lot of stuff going on. You can catch it all on the Odyssey app. Let's give away some HTO as Tommy rejoins us. We'll do a free iced tea available for you at East or West Wichita or in Derby or a free coffee, which, look, we're launching the new coffee, Free Rain. Yellowstone fans, uh, one of the key players of that show, has a coffee company partnering up, going to sell that now in-store. That launch happens Saturday, so you can hold on to that coffee card until then. If you'd like, it'll still work uh, at Derby or East Wichita. But 869-1240, the first caller, uh, you can get that free tea, that free coffee uh, from us here at Sports Daily. Tommy, have you seen this McCole Hardman stuff? Like, I have. Are you up it, to speed yeah, on it's all this? wild. And I don't even know if I know all of it, but from what I've seen, it, it, it sounds like there is a significant amount of drama going on, but it's primarily with the Jets organization and not really with McCall yeah, Hardman, it sounds like. Well, uh, no. That now, now the newest development is that the Jets believe McCall Hardman, because he was mad, was leaking offensive game plans to the opposition. Uh, so that's the that's the latest development in this. We knew he was upset about the way things went in New York. Now he's got you know teammates saying things and then deleting them that you know they wonder who leaked offensive game plans to both the Eagles and the Chiefs, and that they think McCole Hardman because he was upset was doing that. Like he, it doesn't seem like he had many friends in the Jets organization. And while a lot of this seems outrageous and crazy, McCole Hardman has a history of getting his feelings hurt if you remember his time in kansas city like he's not a put your nose down and get to the grindstone he's been very vocal about criticisms or anything else over the course of his career so i just like i look at this and i'm like huh that would be something but if you like you know the eagles are one thing but yeah if if you trade him from the jets to the chiefs and then play the chiefs wouldn't you expect that he would let the Chiefs know about your offensive game yeah. plan? And here, like, that's here's not... a, a novel idea. Maybe don't trade him. Maybe don't trade him to a team that you're going to be playing later in the season. Right. Or or know that you did and you're going to have to change things up, right? Because he obviously is very aware of what we do on offense. Why wouldn't he tell his new teammates that? So it's sort of both of them. Like the Eagles part, that's, that's a little different. But like, I mean, so I don't know what to make of this. Look. I just know that drama follows McCole Hardman, and I think some of that is self-inflicted, and this is a, probably just another case of that. Yeah, I, look, it is what it is, and you know, it's not like McCole Hardman is a major difference maker on either team. I mean, he certainly wasn't with the Jets. He really wasn't all that much with the Chiefs. I mean, obviously, we go back to the Super Bowl Game catch. Game-winning Super Bowl right? catch. But yeah. there were some issues, as we all know, in yeah. the playoffs that – 
everybody was ready to ship him out of town. Um, so it's a mixed bag. It always has been with McCole Hardman. I think that uh, really when we look back and retrospect on his career, whenever he's done, at least I'm going to look back on it and say, I think he had some really uh, impressive athletic abilities, but I'm not sure that really those were ever fully realized. Uh, because remember, when he came into the league, there were comparisons to Tyreek Hill, the level of speed that he has. It's not at the level of Tyreek, but he's a, he's been a pretty fast receiver over the course of his career. And I think that the expectation was that he was going to be a bigger game changer than what he's ended up being. Now, I think that the him going to the Jets, I mean, clearly was not a good situation for him. Um, he barely cracked the depth chart, barely played when he was with the Jets. And, you know, I do think that, um, you know, obviously him being back on the roster in Kansas City, I mean, the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl without him catching the game-winning pass. So you have, I mean, that's going to be cemented in his legacy forever. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's definitely a mixed bag. And I, I'm not sure that, you know, if the Jets are criticizing him and they traded him away, that leads me to believe there are even bigger issues inside the Jets organization. And it's really not McCole Hardman's fault. There are just a lot of other things going on. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It's just interesting that McCole Hardman has been this headline guy because, yeah, he has not been that successful in the NFL. I mean, he was overdrafted as a potential replacement for Tyree Kill during that drama off the field. Otherwise, I don't think he would have been, you know, drafted as highly as he was. Uh, but, he, you know, he caught a, a Super Bowl winning touchdown, and that'll be his legacy, most likely. Um, it's just, boy, it's two two things that draw drama like nothing else, McCole Hardman and the New York Jets, and it's continuing here. Uh, and all I could think for the Jets, it's just another distraction, man. Just another dang distraction, and it ain't going to work with Aaron Rodgers uh, or or what's happening now. I mean, it just time and time and time again, like w w th this kind of drama does not work. It just doesn't. And so, you know, good luck to the Jets next year uh, with whatever they do. But it's unlikely. There's just so much drama there, like all the time with the Jets. It's wild. Um, a lot of quarterback stuff. So we're hearing that, you know, Kirk Cousins would like to be back in Minnesota, the latest on the Bears and what they're going to do, and Caleb Williams, and does he want to play there? All of that stuff will give you a bird's eye on what's happening at that position in the NFL when we return on Sports Daily. We'll be right back. FH. Welcome back into Sports Daily. Appreciate our uh, Prairie Fire Coffee mornings at KFH. The staff enjoys a great cup of coffee from Prairie Fire Coffee. Got a big old vat of it there in the studios to fuel uh, all the people around the Odyssey offices. Tommy, we get into this wild and crazy business of what's really become a, a recent tradition in the NFL, and that is trying to follow the quarterback position through the draft and free agency. A lot of different things happening. What happens with Kirk Cousins, I think, is the most impactful thing that will happen for next season. Uh, people might disagree with me on that, but Kirk Cousins would have had a, a great shot at an MVP this year had he not gotten hurt. That's the reality of it. 
So I think his landing spot is of the most significance in the short term. I think in the long term, it's clearly what happens with Justin Fields and Caleb Williams. Another one to think about in the short term is Russell Wilson, who it's pretty coming pretty clear is done in Denver. So what happens now? What can Denver do? Where does he land? But it's going to be another one of those where we see significant league-altering decisions that have to be made both through free agency and through trades and then through the draft as it's you know generally considered a pretty strong quarterback class. You know, going back to Kirk Cousins, I, I really believe, and I've believed this for a long time, the Vikings, I think they need to give him a long-term deal. I know he's getting fairly up there in age, and I know their hesitation in locking down uh, a quarterback that – really has never gone over the edge. It never won a championship, all of that. But as you mentioned, Cousins was playing at a close to MVP level before he went down with that Achilles injury. And, you know, knowing the way that that offense is built with Justin Jefferson and, you know, all the different weapons at receiver that they have, Jordan Addison was a revelation this year. I think that that combination with Kirk Cousins can get them over the hump and, and make them, you know, again, a legitimate contender for a championship Um, the biggest knock on cousins has been that you know he's not won the big one and he's you know not been able to get it done in the playoffs but I think if he's able to come back fully healthy and it sounds like he will be able to and and is going to be able to I really do believe the Vikings ought to lock him down long term because the other options that are out there I mean yeah they could go and they could pick up one of the other veterans that's out you know whether it's Russell Wilson or somebody else they could do that they could draft a quarterback if they want to, but I think the better option for them is just to stick with Cousins. Yeah, I oh, there, there there's no question that's the best option for them. And look, I I talk to Vikings fans. I, I work with a bunch of Vikings fans, oddly enough, and the biggest and most like knowledgeable of them don't want that return. They're ready to to do something else. And I'm like, man, I just I think that's crazy. And I I think the Vikings would be crazy not to at least run it back once because Justin Jefferson, like if you're not going with Kirk Cousins, you don't, it doesn't make any sense to me to go with Justin Jefferson either. Right. If like, if you're going to start over at quarterback, I mean, you can't justify paying Jefferson what he deserves, which is the most money at that position. What's the point, right? Like it's not, I mean, maybe he helps a rookie develop, but not in any time frame that's going to help you win a Super Bowl. It's just not realistic. So, like, if you want to capitalize, and look, they've made moves, other moves, TJ Hawkinson and other things, and, you know, you've got this defensive coordinator who had the impact, honestly, in Brian Flores that they hoped he would have last year. It just doesn't make any sense to me to not try to run back Kirk Cousins one more time. And then if it doesn't work... You trade Jefferson, you let him walk, you do whatever you got to do, and you start over. But I don't think this is the year to do that for them. You know, I think that for Russell Wilson, uh, you mentioned him being done in Denver. And that, I mean, all indications are that's going to be the case. Um, And and especially the way that, you know, Wilson was treated the last couple of weeks of the season. I mean, all of those things point to him being gone. The question then becomes, is there another team in the NFL that is going to be willing to take a chance on him as a starter. I think there might be a couple. Um, Pittsburgh, man. It's a perfect yeah, fit. I was thinking Pittsburgh and Atlanta are probably the only two landing spots that would make sense for Wilson as a starter. I'm sure that there are 
other teams out there that, you know, at a discount would bring him in to be a backup. But I'm not sure that that's going to be what Russell Wilson is going to want to do to end his career. So really the options, I think, for him as a starter are limited. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, some connection with Dan Quinn would maybe make Washington have some sense. But the reality for Washington is, is they're ready to rebuild. They traded away pieces. They're they're telling you without telling you they're going to take a quarterback. Um, Atlanta would be interesting. I, I don't I don't hate the idea of Atlanta. Really, it's a team that, you know, would like to lean into a defense and maybe a running game and have like that. Those those would both be fine fits for Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson would be upgrades over what they have. I think Pittsburgh, I mean, makes just way too much sense other than the financials of Russell Wilson and his contract, which is, you know, that that's a part of it too. Well, uh, I mean, the way that it's going to get done, right. Is that they're going to have to cut him. The, the Broncos are, and then take that cap hit and basically deal with the ramifications financially money. for a long time. And then Wilson can go and negotiate a new contract with the Steelers. But that's the thing is that knowing how much money Wilson wanted from Denver and, and the fact that that all was able to work out in that way, we all know because of the way his tenure in Denver worked out, he's not going to get anywhere close to that anywhere else he goes. And I would imagine that, you know, whether it's no. Pittsburgh or Atlanta or somewhere else that we're not thinking of, uh, they may get a you discount. Know, Wilson's going to have to take a discount if he wants to be a starter yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. And, and maybe he's willing to do that now. I hope he saved his money when he was in Denver. Denver. I hope he, yeah, I hope sure he banked it away because he's, he's not getting that any other fine. time. It'll be that that is and he's only interesting in that sense, right? Like I and and look, if Russell Wilson goes to Pittsburgh, are they going to win a Super Bowl? Probably not. You know, Atlanta certainly not. So it, it but it does make them better in the short term. There's no question about that. And then you have the rookies and you have Caleb Williams and he's having to like defend himself and be like, I would love to play for Chicago. I would also love to play for any other team I end up with. Like we overthink that all the time. Caleb Williams would be fine playing in Chicago. The, what's become pretty curious about the Chicago situation is they kept Eberflus. They're replacing everybody else. Those are moves that would indicate, right, that they're going to stick with Justin Fields. But now, based on what Ryan Poles is saying, it's like they're not sticking with Justin Fields. If you're not sticking with Justin Fields, why did you keep Eberflus? Right? Like, what what was the point of that? I mean, maybe you're that enamored with Matt Eberflus, I, I, I guess. But if you're moving on... And you're and you're making all these changes. Like if you had the, if you had the idea that you were going to take Caleb Williams, isn't that the perfect opportunity for sort of a clean slate type of thing? Like they've, it's almost like they just keep bouncing around what they want to do. Yeah, it, and, they're and really they can't figure it out. There hasn't been a strong commitment publicly, at least, to a a roadmap to where they want to go. And it goes all the way back to when the coaching carousel was going on. Uh, I think they missed an opportunity to move on from Matt Eberflus and not try to go out and get Jim Harbaugh. You know, Harbaugh, ha Harbaugh has that history with the franchise where it would have made some sense. They didn't do that. They kept him. But now, you know, obviously, who knows what they're going to do with Justin Fields and Caleb Williams. So they, they haven't committed one way or another. They're going to have to figure it out sooner rather than later and commit to one direction and go full force on it. Yeah, Harbaugh picked the right place. I think if you would have asked him which spot he would rather be in, he'd still picked L.A. Uh, because of Herbert, the more established commodity. But, yeah, it's it, it will be a really, really fun one to watch again, of course, in the NFL offseason, as it always is now. It's become one of the great sports things is watching that position bounce around. Tommy and I will be back. We'll wrap it up, tell you what's on the network tonight next on Sports Daily. Sports Daily.